My name is Heidi and I love stories. Funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school and a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. Pretty much as soon as Moses leads the people of Israel away from Egypt and across the Red Sea, they start to show that they are not perhaps suited to the desert environment. See, they go three days into the desert and don't find much water or any water, and they find on the third day this very bitter water at a place called Mara. And they start complaining at Moses, like, what are we going to drink? And God shows Moses a log and he throws it into the water and it becomes sweet again. This is going to be a very consistent pattern for a very long time with Israel. I mean, almost immediately after this, like, healing of the water sort of situation, Israel's like, what are we going to eat? We should have stayed in Egypt because at least there we had things to eat. There's no food in the desert. And they're grumbling and complaining against God and Moses. They're not praying, like, for provision. No, no, no. That would be crazy. Instead, they're friggin', like, just whining about how they don't have anything. And whining at rather than asking for. So God decides that he's going to give them a very special type of food. All over the ground, there's this flaky white stuff that, when baked, tastes kind of honey sweet and is really filling. And the people of Israel call it manna, which means, what is it? Because God provided it and they have no idea what's in it and no idea where it comes from. Here's the cool thing. God told them that they were going to get manna six days a week on the ground. And on the seventh day, they had to use what they had collected on the sixth. So only on the sixth day could they collect twice as much. If they tried to save manna, like from the day before, it would go bad. God was not about to let them get by with this nonsense about whining into what they wanted. So one of the ways that he was kind of, one might say, training Israel to trust him is that it was literally daily bread. Like there was no way to save it and keep it extra. The exception being on the day before the Sabbath, at which time you could save extra. However, any leftover, even from that, would also have gone bad. A couple people tried this out and like saving it when they weren't supposed to. And it was like full of maggots and moldy the next day. God was not to be trifled with and the people were going to wind their way into finding that out, I guess. They're on their way to Sinai. That's the first stop they have on their way to the promised land, again, Canaan, where they have not been in 400 years. So this may seem obvious, but I'll say it. Nobody alive except for Moses and the Egyptians that had joined the Israelites on their journey have ever been free. Freedom is not going to come easy to the Israelites. And in fact, I don't think freedom comes easy to any of us. And I don't mean to dismiss the struggles of those who have been in any type of bondage, especially historically speaking, um, enslaved peoples, because that is not good. However, it is also very difficult to adapt to this kind of environment, especially that it's the desert and they're trusting on a pillar of cloud and fire to provide them with food. As sort of a remembrance for the fact that manna had come from heaven, they put some in a jar that would be preserved for all generations. And because God was involved, it really never did go bad. It was going to be kept in a very special box that has not been built yet, so I will keep its name secret. Manna is going to continue to be Israel's primary source of nutrition and food for a very long time, upwards of 40 years. Just keep in mind, they're taking their sweet time getting there. There's a lot of people and a lot to coordinate, but also, probably more relevantly, they need this time to kind of grow up. 
into the nation that God wanted them to be, and also into the nation that they'd never had a chance to be before. At this point, the nation of Israel has been wandering in the wilderness of sin. Yes, it is quite poetically resonant. And they are leaving that area and once again going into a place where there is no water to drink. They are upset with Moses, like personally offended that he did not bring enough water for the hundreds of thousands of them that there are. And they're like complaining on a massive scale. Why did you bring us into the desert to die? We're all going to die of thirst. Do you want our children to die? And they're angry at God, but they're taking it out on Moses. So Moses goes to God and is like, they're ready to murder me. Could you please help? Because I don't know what to do. Like they're going to stone me outside. I, I can't do anything about this. And God's like, okay, here's the plan. Take your staff go to that big rock over there and in front of everybody hit it and water will come out. Use the same staff that you used to part the Red Sea. Like, let's just get this out there. So Moses takes his staff that he used to part the Red Sea, goes in front of the entire people of Israel, hits the rock and boom, water. That does not normally work. I just want to make that clear. You can't go around hitting rocks with sticks and expecting water to come out. This is one of those miracle things that God does all the friggin' time. This particular place gets a really cool resonant name. It's called Meribah, or Massa. Massa means testing, and Meribah means quarreling. Basically, Israel was arguing over whether or not God was going to come through for them, and they were arguing whether or not God was actually on their side. You would think after the ten plagues of Egypt and his miraculous deliverance of them and the way that he was leading them through the desert and the parting of the Red Sea and all this cool stuff that Israel would be 100% clear on God's opinion on them, but they were not. And that made him a little bit testy, hence the testing. At this point in the aforementioned wilderness, which is actually called Rephidim, if you're interested. Anyway, in the wilderness of Rephidim, they end up fighting Amalek, which is a nation tribe um, that, you know, definitely was more warlike than Israel, i.e. Israel had never fought in a battle ever before. And Moses calls up what I would, you know, happily nickname his personal assistant, Joshua. And he tells Joshua to pick some fighting men and that they are going to go out and they're going to defeat Amalek. So they do. Moses is supposed to stand on this mountain and hold up his staff. And when the staff is up, Israel will be prevailing. And when the staff goes down, Israel will be losing. Obviously, Moses wants to keep the staff up all day. The problem is, is that have you ever tried to hold up your arm all day? It's very difficult. So he is switching hands and doing everything he can to keep his arms up. But he is just exhausted. So while Joshua is fighting Amalek, Aaron, Moses's brother and her, a buddy, I guess, hold up Moses's hands so that Israel can actually prevail against Amalek. And when they do, God tells Moses to do two things. One, write it down. Write down what just happened. And two, to pass on this message to Joshua. God is going to friggin' just annihilate Amalek so that there is no evidence, no nothing that they ever existed. Doesn't happen yet, though. Israel is victorious, but Amalek's still out there licking its wounds. In celebration and in honor of the victory that God had given them, Moses does the same thing that Noah did after a big deliverance. He builds an altar. This one he names, the Lord is my banner, and then they move on from that place. Keep in mind, by the way, that Sinai is the same mountain that the burning bush was on, which means that Moses is basically heading toward where his father-in-law lives. When things had started to get pretty darn dicey in Egypt, he had sent Zipporah and his kids back to live with dad just briefly so that he could concentrate on, you know, setting the people of Israel free and not have to worry about his wife and kids being in danger. 
Well, father-in-law Jethro hears all of the amazing things that God has been doing for Israel through Moses, and he's super excited because Jethro is the high priest of Midian, and the high priest of Midian specifically was a high priest of God. So he's really excited to see Moses and the people coming, and Jethro actually goes out to meet them with Zipporah and the kids. Jethro decides to shadow Moses for a day to kind of see how Moses is doing. And what he sees is that Moses is getting burnt out already. Like they have not been on this trip for very long. And the problem is that Moses is handling every single question. Any dispute that anyone has is going straight to Moses. And Jethro's like, dude, you can't keep doing this. Like you're going to get burnt out. So what you need to do is get some elders set up so that like small issues can be handled by the little guys who are in charge of like 20 people. And then bigger issues can go up and up and up the chain so that you are only having to deal with the real really hard stuff. And Moses is like, that's a great idea, dad-in-law. I'm going to do that. (laughs) So they set up a system so that Moses is no longer handling every single issue in Israel. Moses and Jethro seem to have a pretty close personal relationship and also a great working relationship, which is really neat. Anyway, Jethro gives Moses some advice, makes sure that he is able to run this small country that he's leading around the desert, prays for him, and then leaving his daughter and grandkids behind, goes his merry way back home. And at this point, Moses and Israel make it to Sinai. Finally. After two separate water incidents, an incident about food, their very first battle, and a father-in-law having to step in in front of his burnt-out son-in-law, Israel makes it to Sinai. But they're not allowed to go on the mountain yet. No, 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 that would be crazy. It's been three months. This is the third new moon after Israel left Egypt. And now they've arrived. And God's like, you have seen what I have done, and I have done this to bring you to me, because I want you for myself. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people, and I am going to speak to you on the mountain. And he gives Israel some instructions of things they need to do before they can actually receive the big instruction, like this big something that is going to make them not only into a collection of tribes, but into a nation, and not only into a nation, but a nation dedicated to the service of God himself. The nation's given some pretty specific instructions. First off, they're not allowed to touch Mount Sinai. They're not allowed to put a hand on it or a foot on it. Any animal that goes onto the mountain will die. And no one is allowed to have sex for three days while they await God's further instructions. And on the third day, there is thunder and lightning. Very, very frightening. And God starts to speak. At this point, the people are like, we have no interest in talking to God face to face. No, 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 no. Moses, you go on up and talk to God. We will wait down here and whatever he says, we will obey. And Moses is like, you sure? And they're like, yep. So Moses and his PA Joshua start heading up the mountain because God is going to talk. And the conversation that they are going to have is going to, again, form a holy and priestly nation out of this collection of tribes that I've been calling a nation to make it convenient, but they have not yet reached this unified, codified system. But they're about to. They have finally arrived. Next episode, we're actually going to wrap up the entire book of Exodus. We're going to find out what happens, what God is going to give Moses on this mountain. We're also going to find out what the people were doing while they weren't on the mountain. There's going to be a little bit of ups and downs. It's Israel. What can I say? Up until now, just about every episode has hit at least a little bit on every single chapter, and I'm going to keep doing that, sort of. But a lot of the books that are coming up, including a lot of Exodus, is not going to be primarily narrative, and that's what this podcast is focused on. There's a lot of really great assessments of other things, like biblical poetry and law and all kinds of those things, but we're going to focus on the stories, and next episode is the story of what happens on the mountain. Catch you then.